Hi, I'm Victor. And I'm Allegra. And we want to welcome you to Simply Investing. We're two mates in our 20s who have learned a thing or two in our young careers. Definitely from making lots of mistakes. And our mission is to simplify investing and give you the knowledge and confidence to kickstart your investment journey. Before we start, a quick reminder that nothing we say is financial advice. Rather, for educational purposes only. We are not financial advisors and everybody should invest according to their own circumstances. Cool. Welcome back, ladies and gents, to another episode of Simply Investing. In this week's episode, Allegra and I are going to talk about a topic that is hot on most investors' radars at the moment, and that is inflation, right? And so we're going to kick off really simply with what is inflation. So in general, um, inflation is a general rise in prices over time and a decrease in the purchasing value of money. So they both kind of go hand in hand. And another related concept to inflation really quickly is deflation, which is the opposite of inflation. And this is a general fall in the prices over time. And most people might think that this is really, really good, right? When prices go down and consumer items become cheaper and everything. Um, but we'll explore later in the episode why a sustained period of deflation may not always be good and why this might not always be the case. Really quickly on the topic of inflation. So how do we measure inflation? We've explained what it is. It's a uh, sustained general rise in prices over time. And uh, a lot of the bureaus um, around the world, we're only going to talk about two. So in Australia, we have the ABS Allegra and the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And in the US, we have the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they measure inflation through what we call the Consumer Price Index. For short, this is the CPI. And most of you investors out there may have already heard the term CPI being thrown around lately. And because it is the hot topic at the moment, as we see raging inflation around the world. And what the CPI does is it tracks price changes in a typical quote unquote basket of goods and services that most urban consumers buy. And most countries will do this on a monthly basis. Some will do it quarterly like Australia. And um, how they measure, like I mentioned, the consumer price index is through uh, a bunch of different groups of items uh, within this basket. And they basically go and take track of the price of um, whatever you know they're measuring on a sustained basis, like I mentioned, monthly or quarterly. So Allegra, why don't you walk us through a couple of the different categories uh, that sit within the consumer price index or the CPI? Yeah, so I guess um, at a high level, pretty much what is included within the CPI or the CPI categories, um, the first one that we have that obviously is something that is probably... Everybody. Know, yeah, everybody uses and it's, it, yeah. effect, it, it's affected heavily by inflation is food. Yeah. Um, so this also has one of the highest weightings within the CPI at around 13.5%. Yep, that's right. And food, I think we should also mention includes uh, eating out as well. So I think when these bureaus do it or the ABS or the BLS, I think they have like a budget on what the typical, I don't know, urban family would, how many times a week they would eat out at their local right. Thai or, or whatever. And do they just go to the same local? I think so. I think they have to do that. They have to keep it consistent and um, measure it that way. So I'm going to say yes, though I don't really know. Right. So um, I guess the second kind of category 
is energy, and this also includes um, fuel or yeah, yeah gasoline. Um, We've seen a big increase in fuel prices lately, haven't we? Yeah, and I guess that's probably also off the back of the you know what's happening in Ukraine yeah. and Russia. Um, but yeah, I think that fuel has been heavily affected by inflation. Yep. Um, and that yeah is obviously off the back of also what's happening worldwide. Yeah, and I think they're tipping fuel to hit six dollars a gallon in the US and wow. in Australia. I mean, I pay two dollars twenty for a liter. What? Yeah. I mean, we just where did you get gas? Yeah, it's like a dollar ninety, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not always been a dollar ninety. Sometimes it fluctuates. I think right. recently, to be fair, it's fluctuated between a dollar seventy and two dollars twenty. Yeah. It's... Do you use that app? Fuel no. Map? No. What does that do? Oh, there's an app. This is probably a good hack for everyone. There's an app called Fuel Map, and basically, it's just like a map. That oh, has what? all of the different service stations. Oh yeah, on I do. It, I do use that one. But, but, but what what do you do when they're all two dollars? Yeah, it's pretty grim. I it's... think I went on the other day and it was like every like service station around me was like a. There's one near your house that's really cheap, by the way. Which one? The one up the road. Oh, the metro. The metro. Yeah, metro that generally one. is cheaper. I think cheaper, but I think they probably put like water in the petrol or something. <laughs> yeah, I always <laughs> think about the fuel quality, but. I mean, it, anyway, the waiting yeah, isn't that. Still working, so. <laughs> the waiting isn't that high for this one, right? Eight percent, like yeah. or approximate. These are all approximate eight percent. Right. Um, but and I think that still something like a fuel probably, you know, if there wasn't a war happening at the moment, would be you know less affected by inflation. But I think you yeah. know we're probably in a, a Can't period stop that man. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the next one, and this is obviously. Quite a heavily weighted category is commodities. Yeah. Um, so, for example, medication, cars. I guess car insurance, car, people spending on their cars, registration, yep. all that kind of stuff. And obviously, I really don't know how they measure this, but like the average spending on medics, seeing a doctor. Right. I mean, yeah, most people do, I guess, families or households would see a doctor. Somebody yeah. in the family would see a doctor maybe once a quarter or something. Yeah. That's probably how they do it. And that's weighted at 21%. So that's, yeah, quite high. Yeah. But I guess maybe they'd have, like, the price to buy the same car or something. I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Probably, yeah. All right. So um, the next category that is, yeah, the heaviest weighted out of the, you know, the list of categories is housing. Um, and I guess it's worth noting for this one that by housing, we don't mean the price of buying a house. It's the price of rent. Yeah, we'll come back to housing at the end because it is the heaviestly weighted one. And uh, it makes sense because a lot of most people's paychecks would go towards rental, uh, paying rent. Um, but we'll touch back on this particular part of the CPI, um, which is housing. And yeah, it's the weighted at what, 32.5%. So yeah, so that's yeah. the heaviest weighted category within the CPI. Yep. Um, so yeah, the next one we have is healthcare, which is at around 7% of the overall weighting. Yep. Um, and then we've got transportation, which is around, you know, 5.7%. Yeah. Um, and then the last is just other expenses, which is, just, you know, a general category, which is also at around 11.7%. Yeah. And that obviously makes up your 100% weighting, yeah. um, which is your, you know, consumer price index. Absolutely. So just to quickly touch back uh, on housing, right? So the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is the US um, Bureau, they... They call housing shelter, and it is the highest weighted category. I'm sure it's the same here in Australia as well. But basically, um, it's using the concept of owner's equivalent of primary residence. So how much homeowners would charge to rent their home uh, unfurnished without utilities? And basically, it's a pretty, I guess, questionable measure in some ways because 
The CPI could ultimately give a false low inflation reading due to low rental yields, even when home prices are really high. And I guess a prime example of this would be COVID, right? And during, I guess, the COVID years, a lot of governments around the world printed a lot of money. And, you know, I mean, we've both benefited from this, but house prices skyrocketed, absolutely skyrocketed, but rentals didn't, rental incomes didn't, or sorry, rental yields didn't, right? And And I guess it's worth on that to kind of say that, you know, rent going up goes hand in hand with wage increases. Yeah. So, you know, when there's an increase in obviously wages, generally, you know, rent will increase or will follow. So I think, you know, we found that probably in states like Brisbane, where previously they didn't have an increase in wages for quite some time, rent stagnated, but recently that's picked up again. Cool. Yeah. And as we mentioned, right, like during the time, you know, as you mentioned with Brisbane, but also during the coronavirus uh, time, right, here in Australia, we didn't have open borders and we didn't have any um, international, I guess, students or international visitors or people that kind of um, come to visit, you know, the major cities, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. And a lot of, um, I guess, apartments in the city or dwellings in the city went um, unrented because the market was just cool and Mm. there weren't that many people here uh, to rent. And so housing, yeah, that's just a little caveat there. And the CPI, um, we also want to touch back quickly uh, on food and energy. So we mentioned food is 13.5%, energy about 8%. And these are two commodities with really wild price swings. So yeah, we mentioned food. And look, like I mentioned, I'm not an expert on agriculture and I don't right. know, really know how food yields work and you well, know, with I mean, prices. And- I could probably jump in here and say something like, for example, when we have periods of drought, Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, for example, I don't know, wheat, whatever it is, right? Um, you know, if you can't farm as much of, of that type of crop, well, then there'll be a shortage, which obviously leads to a price increase. But yeah, droughts guess, is a great example. Yeah. Or, you know, when there's bushfires, whatever it is, you know, um, and obviously farmers aren't able to produce as much of a certain good or as much of a crop or whatever it is, then obviously you'll see a lift in prices. Like when they had that, um, the cyclones, was it? Oh yeah. And all the bananas. The bananas. It was like $20. Like 20 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love bananas, which is why, yeah, it was tough, tough time for me back then. Um, Probably tough for the people impacted. But anyway, um, commodities is another one, right? Like we mentioned the current situation in the Ukraine um, and that not being the sole factor of why oil prices and gas prices have gone up immensely, but obviously a contributor. And, you know, that's something that could, quote unquote, skew the measure in CPI. And on top of all of this, uh, food and energy commodities are also traded on derivative exchanges. So you can trade futures and swaps and options on these products and traders or the investment bankers can then bid these prices up or down based on what they think you know if i know where i'm thinking an impending war is coming i might want to lock in a better oil price now etc and and play the market like that and then you'll have these often wild price swings as a result i think i was listening to a podcast a while ago from npr which you know they do a great podcast on economics and finance but Oil futures went into the negative territory. It, it basically, um, you know, oil was it went down to a negative price during wow. COVID, and because you know it costs more, and it, well, I wouldn't say cost more. It costs a lot to store oil in tanks and vats and things like that. And all these bankers, they you know something to do with contracts coming up to maturity, and they couldn't deliver on the oil, all that kind of stuff. So this is what we're talking about here. And to net that out, right, in a long-winded way of saying. Uh, we also have something called the core CPI. So we call this core inflation, and that takes out food and energy spikes um, in terms of their prices. 
Yeah, so like I mentioned, we have that core CPI measure and this solves the problem of volatile food and energy prices by excluding them. Uh, for example, the latest inflation figure to come out of the US in April was 8.3% and the core inflation was 8.1%. Look, not too much of a difference, yeah, right? But not a huge difference at all. No, not a huge difference at all. But um, I think, yeah, I think what the Fed or central banks look at, they usually consider more the core part of inflation when deciding whether to raise interest rates. And interest rates are going to be very, very closely tied to inflation, as we will mention in the later parts of the episode. But I guess in a nutshell, um, like we mentioned, this is what inflation is, right? It's sustained general rise in the prices of goods and services, and it's measured through the CPI. So I guess, you know, we've spoken about what inflation is and then obviously how it's measured. Um, and I guess, you know, the next kind of question is how do we as consumers um, get impacted by inflation? Anyway, so pretty much, you know, we'll use, I guess, a practical example. Yeah. If you have a million dollars in the bank, let's say, and, you know, based on current inflation over a year, you basically lose um, 83,000, which is, you know, 8.3%, like we yeah. discussed. And that's in America, right? Because the latest inflation rate came out in April in the US at 8.3%. And obviously that's annualized, like April to April. So, you know, if it goes for that whole year, then, you know, in your a million dollars in the bank, you would lose $83,000. You would lose 83K. Um, you wouldn't lose the money because your money will still be there, but you'd buy less Full with the current money that you have. That's right. And when we say lose, it's a decline in your purchasing power because things are getting more expensive. That same money that you have just buys less stuff. Yeah. So I guess if we, you know, use this as an Australian example, um, our inflation was at 5.1%. So if you had a million dollars in a bank account, you would essentially lose yeah. Um, or, you know, your buying power would decrease by 51,000. Yeah. And most recently in the UK legs, um, you would quote unquote lose 90K, right? Because inflation in the UK came out to be 9% um, in April, it was reported. Um, and hence, you know, like we mentioned, you don't ultimately lose this money. Your money will probably go up because you're getting some interest at the bank. And especially if central banks around the world start to raise their interest rates and you'll probably get a little bit more. But ultimately, your cash is going to buy you less and less and less as inflation starts to come in. Yeah, so I guess, you know, in layman's term, pretty much... Um, the way you can look at it is, you know, you're earning the same amount of money or you have the same amount of money, but the price of everything is pretty much going up. Yeah. So yeah, your purchasing power decreases. Exactly. And at the same time, I think this is why when you have inflation that goes really high and yes, 9% is historically high in the UK, you know, Australia, 5.1%. We've seen worse in the seventies, et cetera, US 8%, you know, inflation at one point back in the seventies, eighties, um, went up to about, I think 20%. Wow. And not to mention, we have situations of hyperinflation, right? Like yeah. areas or in, you know, case studies of the past of hyperinflation. Venezuela recently went through one, Argentina, and you can see the collapse of their currency, the collapse of their economy. And hyperinflation is really bad. Um, you know, Zimbabwe is another one. I've actually, I remember when I was younger, I was really into economics and money and I went on eBay and I bought a <laughs> trillion dollar bill from Zimbabwe, a trillion dollar I, I don't know what the now? local. I, I bought it for like a couple of dollars, right? But it said it. It was the central bank printed a trillion dollar bill in Zimbabwe. Wow! And Do you still have it? Yeah, I can show you. How after. much is it worth now? Not much because oh, you okay. can't get you much 
I don't know how right. much... So I, you're a trillionaire in Zimbabwe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I actually don't think it's worth anything because the way to reset your economy is to just can the old money and bring in a new currency, which is, I think, what they did. But um, in situations of hyperinflation, when you get to a point where, let's say, for example, if the price of a loaf of bread here in Australia became $200, like that's going to be a serious issue yeah. for, for people like you and me. And I it's know. never. I love get, my carbs. I mean, <laughs> I'm just screwed. Mate, you can see it. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> you can never, like, not never, but never say never. But like, that's never, like, that genuinely probably it's not going to happen. Like, yeah. bread is not going to go. If bread goes to two hundred dollars, and you know, people will probably switch to rice if rice is still cheap and stuff. But if everything is at that level, it's over. Yeah, it's right. Tough. And I guess you know, on that as well, most companies will continue to give, you know, if your company gives a CPI increase, it's not at 5.1%. They'll give oh it my about, goodness, you no. know, anywhere between 1% and 3%. So That makes me really sad. I know. It's difficult when, you know, wages obviously don't increase at the same rate as inflation does, but that goes hand in hand. If wages were increasing at the same rate as inflation, then it would be hard to actually decrease or, you know, reduce the impact of inflation overall. That's right, because people then have more money and they'll and generally it probably spend them. it. and. You know, unless you really start to push interest rates higher and higher, which is what a lot of banks around the world are doing now. And we released an episode on interest rates, uh, you know, would have been a couple of weeks ago. So if you haven't listened to that yet, please do, because we're in an environment where inflation is running away or starting to run away. And central banks around the world are starting to, they're on the back foot, but they're starting to raise their interest rates. I think the future of the economies around the world will depend on how high interest rates go. If interest rates do go to 20%, we're no doubt going to a recession. All your shares are going to crash. Everything's going to crash. Oh, my God. If it does go to yeah. 20%, 20% high, though. Yeah, that's crazy. If, if my mortgage became 10% even. Crazy. I'm going to be calling you and asking for the loan. For loan? Honestly, right. it's crazy. But, um, you know, we're getting a bit sidetracked. So, really, why don't we start to explore how do we, I guess, base our investment decisions uh, on inflation or, you know, um, how does inflation affect our investments? So, a really famous quote from a billionaire investor, Ray Dalio, who runs, uh, manages the fund uh, at Bridgewater Associates, one of the largest hedge funds in the world. Um, he always says cash is trash. Right. And I think a lot of people take that and go, this guy hates cash. You should all be all invested in shares. And then yeah. I think one of, um, one of the reporters, Andrew Ross Sorkin, he's, you know, uh, someone I listen to as well. He asked Ray Dalio the question, you know, if cash is trash, you know, what do we do? How do yeah. we invest currently? Because my stocks are down 30%. My Tesla shares are down 50% from yeah. their all-time highs. And he, you know what he says? He goes, well, you know, stocks are more trash, right? Yeah. So it's all about picking your poison. I don't think keeping cash is bad in an inflationary environment because in an inflationary environment, what you'll start to see is central banks raising interest rates and that will invariably drive down asset prices like we mentioned in our previous episode. And um, But, you know, inflation is only one measure of an economy. If you're in an inflation environment like Zimbabwe back in those days, it doesn't matter what you do. You're, you're cooked. Just, yeah. You're, you're, you're screwed, right? Yeah, but that's in true. But in most developed economies, the way I guess I see it is, you know, we are starting to see inflation rise. And, you know, how do I invest? Well, you know, you want to try and beat that inflation number then. Well, how do you beat 8% return? If I put it in shares, it goes the other way. If I put it in cryptos, it goes, um, yeah. I'm not eating for the next two years. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, you know, it's tough, right? But I think there are investments that do decent in inflationary environments. I think commodities is one. So right. if you got into oil or yeah. oil so, companies. Well, yeah, because, you know, obviously then these companies are charging more money um, for their goods or services. And in turn, obviously their revenue and profits will be up. So, you know, if they're producing you know, healthy results in terms of profits and all the rest of it, yep. 
then generally you as an investor will also benefit from an increased asset price. Of course, and food as well is another one. So um, obviously I work for a supermarket, but investing in retail at the moment or consumer staples, because no matter how expensive food gets, and we're talking 8% inflation, like a loaf of bread might go from two to maybe three at most, 350, right? In terms of how much you'll go up. Um, food, people are still going to buy that and people are still going to eat. Food. Well, they have to, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, and then you could even go even further and look at, you know, obviously the ingredients that make up food, so things like wheat and all the rest of it. Commodities, yeah. absolutely. Gold as well is, is is known to be an inflation hedge because an ounce of gold is always worth another ounce of gold. Um, so that's physical property as well. Um, over the longer term, you'll do absolutely fine if you held farmland, units, houses, physical, tangible property. Uh, the market may slow down, um, but that's not due to inflation. That's due to interest rates, really. Um, so that's something to look out for, uh, you know, uh, healthcare providers, essential healthcare providers or essential health, um, would, would always do really well. So things like that, I think, you know, if, you should really be investing defensively in a way in, a, in an inflationary environment, or you want to invest in firms that can pass these increased prices further down the supply chain to their consumers like a retailer. Right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we always say this, but I don't think you should be scared to invest during a time like this. Um, and like, you know, if you continue to dollar cost average, yep. um, you know, you won't risk buying the dip or buying, you know, too high. Yeah. So. I think over the long, it also as well, you need to keep in your mind, everything will pass, right? This is only one current situation we find ourselves in, but this will be reined in at some point. And if you have a long-term horizon, for example, buying an index fund, that's going to do fine over time. Right. And so, yeah, most definitely, I think you know, we're not saying inflation doesn't matter, but it's just one indicator on a broader range of, you know, the economic health, whether you're looking at unemployment, uh, GDP, um, interest rates, really important, like we've mentioned, but um, most definitely, I think it's something to keep in mind for the uh, savvy investor. Welcome back and let's kind of have a more general discussion on inflation and overall how inflation as a singular indicator can kind of give you a little bit of a broader picture on how the economy is doing. So I'm going to start off firstly by saying, look, you can't look at inflation by itself. It just like you can't look at unemployment by itself. It doesn't give you the full picture of what the economy is doing, how it's working, um, you know, what to look out for, etc. Um, so, you know, as an economic indicator, inflation more generally, um, you know, you need to consider with uh, other factors like interest rates, like GDP, like unemployment, like any structural shifts, technological breakthroughs, like the internet, right? Things like that. Um, but, you know, at a very high level, um, I'm going to present, you know, three, I guess, quote unquote scenarios, but just three general points of discussion. The first is, um, I want to say a healthy level of inflation is actually good for the economy. I think it signals a healthy economy. Most central banks will target 2 to 3% inflation. Obviously, we're not there now. No. <laughs> I think we're a little on the high side. By little, I mean like double or triple that, you know, um, level. But, you know, I think 2 to 3% inflation is what most central banks are targeting, right? And I also want to say if wages do keep pace with inflation and uh, your inflation expectations are managed and stabilized, then you will ultimately be able to generate a stable economy. And that's what markets react the most favorably to. Markets do not like uncertainty. They like to know year in, year out what to expect from an economic perspective. And that 2 to 3% is generally what's built into the economic machine. And 
I actually wrote a paper when I was at um, uni with a couple of people, and you're such a nerd. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. This I know like... you're being serious. I know. <laughs> and like a couple of, they really carried me. To be fair, and we're like looking at like what determines inflation. What's the leading yeah. indicator of inflation? We did all this. We crunched all this data. You know, is it the media? Is it you know food price? All this kind of stuff. And we've figured out it's ultimately at the end of the day, inflation is generated by most times like inflationary expectations so yeah. what we expect inflation to be and a lot of people have grown up in a time where inflation is two to three percent our parents could probably tell you that they experienced like you know 20 30 percent inflation back in the day but um you know what you expect or what the general population expects inflation to be is what is going to drive that number and drive that year in year out that um that result so um as long as you know you've got the two to three percent inflation which as we caveat, isn't what we have now, right? Yeah, so but 2 to 3% is your ideal, perfect, utopia scenario. It's, what, it's great. It's what, yeah, it's what the, they aim towards. Yeah, exactly. And to do that, you know, we talked about this once again in our interest rates episode, they will uh, raise interest rates when inflation is too high or lower interest rates when inflation is too low. And just on that point there, right, interest rates can only really go to zero, sorry, in nominal terms, right? Like the central bank can make the cash rate zero. I thought that um, in places like Japan and stuff, they're now in negative. I think they're starting to experiment rates. with negative interest yeah. rates in the last couple of years. But do you know what negative interest rates mean? I know you know, but I'm just gonna you know rhetorically. Like when you have negative interest rates, basically like they take money from you from your bank account. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah, they would, and then you, they'd also you know <laughs> obviously they're trying to push you to spend. Yeah, that's what negative interest rates. They do. pay you to borrow money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like you, yeah, you're right. Like it's what happened in um, Japan, right? Because they want people to spend. Yeah. Everyone was saving. Not not many people really wanted to buy things, and you know, like that's crazy. Can you fathom having your money in your bank account taken instead of that interest received line, which a is yeah. like two dollars? But yeah, <laughs> imagine saying interest. No, 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 expense deducted or whatever. Well, yeah. Did, yeah, that's crazy. Um, just for keeping your money with the bank. But anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. But as long as there's not too much exuberance in the economy and um, the markets and the ship is steady, like we mentioned, yeah. right? Two to three percent. You know, GDP looks fine. Unemployment is steady or improving. You know, you've got that magic, you know, inflation number and your wage growth is keeping pace and your productivity is, is doing well. Then that's all signs of a healthy capitalist economy. So that's scenario one. Now, moving to scenario two. If inflation is above 2 to 3%, which is where we are now, and sometimes much higher, you know, you get prices that spiral out of control. Or you, they can. They can spiral out of control. And a large determinant of inflation, like I mentioned with that paper there, is inflationary expectations. And once people see prices starting to grow above 3%, if it's sustained year on year on year on year, then they may factor this into their spending decisions and they may buy a lot more stuff now rather than later. Right. And that's yeah. because buying power is going to erode. Right. Yeah. And this may overheat the economy because so many people will want to buy things, you know, an increase in demand. This is going to further push up prices and it's like a virtuous cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So having a really high inflation is not ideal in that respect. And you can see why now governments don't want that. And no. Interest rates are going up. Just because and, you know, of that I guess reason. That's why, you know, on the back of that, that's probably why a lot of you know, companies and obviously also the government, like they don't actually want to increase wages because as soon as they increase wages, you've basically just got the same self-perpetuating cycle where, you know, you increase wages, will obviously spend more, more and then you don't actually counter the effects of inflation. Yeah, that's a good point because no matter how high interest rates go, 
Like if people don't save their money and they keep spending that increase in wage, then it's not really going to help. Yeah. All interest rates can really do is to incentivize saving. Um, yeah. So like we mentioned, you know, governments in response to runaway inflation, um, they, you know, tend to uh, increase interest rates and they do this to incentivize saving. Um, you know, scenario 1A, um, where situations of inflation running away and can't be controlled, they lead to hyperinflation, yeah. right? And that's when like a loaf of bread becomes a million dollars. Yeah, um, and you're a trillionaire though, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well then a million goes to a billion, then goes to a trillion, then goes to a gazillion. Yeah. And then a bajillion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just keeps going up and up and up. And man, it's really, really sad. Like we laugh, but we shouldn't because people's savings evaporate overnight. I think, you know, we've never lived in an environment of hyperinflation. I can't speak for all of our listeners, but if the price of a loaf of bread in Australia was to go up to a million dollars, yeah, my life savings, gone. Gone. Gone yeah. straight away. Like, And that's what happened to people in the 1920s in Germany um, after World War One. It's happened many times throughout the world and it's not a good place to be. So um, that's scenario one where inflation is high and, you know, um, most central banks will just raise interest rates to kind of rein it back in. People need to just stop buying stuff. Yeah. It's a bit different in our current situation because there's some supply side um, Issues. determinants as well. Yeah. And obviously we've had a once in a lifetime pandemic. So that's something to keep keep in mind. Um, and then scenario three, the last one is um, we have inflation below 2 to 3%. Yeah. Right. And this signals low price growth. Uh, the economy can still be healthy, but uh, growth will generally slow down at this stage. There's not enough demand to push up prices and overall economy that can turn flat. When inflation is negative, I guess 3A, right? Then you have what we call deflation, yeah. right? And that's when there's a sustained decrease in the price growth. of goods and services. Uh, you might think this is good, but this is also not ideal as the way to stimulate the economy in this particular instance is to get people to buy things. And it's through the lowering of interest rates. In traditional economics, right, interest rates can only go to zero. But that's yeah. not the case in Japan. They've started to experiment with negative nominal interest rates. Um, in this situation, if you're saving your money with a bank, you're not getting a return for your money. You're, you're getting charged. You're money, yeah, right? to have it with the bank, yeah. And they're incentivizing you to go buy things to start to bring up prices. Um, so, yeah, deflation is not necessarily ideal either, as it can also build expectations. If you keep expecting prices to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, right? Might Why would you spending, ever yeah. buy anything now? Right. And if you don't ever buy anything now, your economy just slows and just stops. Yeah. Right? So, that's absolutely not ideal at all. So, um, consumers often defer spending in the situation of deflation and the economy will shrink. So, I just want to quickly touch on this last point here. So, deflation can also come from supply side. Um, you know, most of what we talked about is demand-led inflation. Um, from a supply side, right, if you think about innovation, yeah, that can push prices down. So I remember when I was growing up, right, we bought, I think mum bought a TV for us, like a really nice big plasma TV. Yeah. And it was like 40 inches and it cost like $8,000. What? Yeah, back in the day. Crazy. Seriously. And now you can get like a high-tech It's not that much cheaper. Like it's like two, gra- two grand, two grand, two, three grand. Yeah. But I mean, look, when we say not that much cheaper from eight grand to two grand, you know, so that's technological innovation helping bring down the price of, you know, something like a TV and that's excellent, right? I'm sure the first computer that were probably like gigantic yeah. and probably cost so much that, you know, the average consumer couldn't afford one. But, yeah. um, you know, that's, um, 
that's kind of the supply side part of deflation. Yeah, so I guess that pretty much wraps up, you know, a broad overview or a broad conversation surrounding inflation. Um, I guess, you know, it's worth noting that inflation and interest rates really do go hand in hand. So if you haven't listened to our um, episode on interest rates, please go back and do that because it will give you a really good understanding and broad overview yeah. of the current market and economic conditions. Definitely. Um, and yeah, when there's further interest rate increases Which or decreases, yeah, or further inflation rate increases, you know, you'll have a better understanding of why that's happening, what it is. Um, But yeah, join us on our next episode where we will discuss all things um, in the metaverse. And if you have any questions on today's episode or any of our episodes in general, please feel free to DM us, reach out to us. We're at Simply Investing Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, all our major socials. Um, We'd love to have a chat with you. So please let us know your thoughts and we hope you're all doing all right there with uh, the current inflationary environment.